Well, I invite you to turn with me in your Bibles to Mark chapter 11. Mark chapter 11, we'll be looking at verses 12 through 25, 12 through 25, and as you turn there, we're continuing, of course, in our series through the book of Mark. We uh, have, have jumped into an important section, though, and you, I want to make sure we realize it. We have moved uh, from that general description of the life and ministry of Jesus. Of course, we looked at Palm Sunday back during uh, Easter week uh, a month or so or more ago. We have jumped past that now. So we are into the final week of the life, earthly life and ministry of Jesus. Jesus is no longer uh, promoting this sort of messianic uh, secret, keeping his identity uh, concealed in some measure. He is now boldly displaying who he is, what he came to do. And he's, if you will, crossed over the Rubicon. There's no turning back now. And you'll see that today as we look at these verses which display to us Jesus' pathway towards the cross and three particular kingdom priorities. You can follow along in the back of your worship guide if you want in the notes section. That is judgment, outreach, and faith. These kingdom priorities we want to take a look at today. As we look at these verses, I invite you to stand with me in honor and recognition of God's holy, fully trustworthy word. I'll read aloud as you read along silently, Mark chapter 11, verses 12 through 25. On the following day, when they came from Bethany, Jesus was hungry. And seeing in the distance a fig tree in leaf, he went to see if he could find anything on it. But when he came to it, he found nothing but leaves, for it was not the season for figs. And he said to it, May no one ever eat fruit from you again. And his disciples heard it. And they came to Jerusalem, and he entered the temple and began to drive out those who sold and those who bought in the temple. And he overturned the tables of the money changers and the seats of those who sold pigeons. And he would not allow anyone to carry anything through the temple. And he was teaching them and saying to them, Is it not written, My house shall be called a house of prayer for all the nations, but you have made it a den of robbers. And the chief priests and the scribes heard it and were seeking a way to destroy him, for they feared him, because all the crowd was astonished at his teaching. And when evening came, they went out of the city. And as they passed by in the morning, they saw the fig tree withered away to its roots. Peter remembered and said to him, Rabbi, look, the fig tree you cursed is withered. Jesus answered them, have faith in God. Truly I say to you, whoever says to this mountain, be taken up and thrown into the sea, and does not doubt in his heart, but believes what he says will come to pass It will be done for him. Therefore, I tell you, whatever you ask in prayer, believe that you have received it and it will be yours. And whatever you stand praying and whenever you stand praying, forgive if you have anything against anyone so that your father 
also who is in heaven may forgive you your trespasses. You may be seated and let's pray again together. Oh, Lord God, we stop each week to pause and pray specifically for our time in your word, Lord, because we so greatly need your help. I so greatly need your help each week that your word would be proclaimed, that we would hear and receive in a way that glorifies you. Help us to that end, we ask. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, I can remember last year when I had arrived back in town, been back a few weeks after our mission trip to Peru, I got that little statement in the mail from the credit card company. I like to use the credit card when I go on mission trips, especially if you're in like a bigger city area. They usually take the card, so that's convenient. Uh, they they also keep you from having to get, you know, cash here and there and change it over and keep track of it in your wallet and know all the, the uh, rates and so forth for that. And, of course, the credit card company tells you that they're going to get you the best exchange rate possible. And, indeed, they do. What I noticed when I got my statement, though, is that they hadn't told me they were going to charge me for each one of those great rates they got me on my trip. Not too much has changed in 2,000 years, has it? Somebody's always trying to make a little bit off of that exchange. Somebody's always trying to make a few bucks where they can. And if you or I have occasionally gotten a bit perturbed in those phone conversations with the customer service person at the credit card company trying to sort out those kind of issues, it doesn't even hold a candle to the sort of temple tirade that we see Jesus go on here in these verses today. The temple cleansing part of our passage today alone is intriguing. But when you set it in the context of Jesus calling down eternal judgment upon the local plant life and bidding us to ask the mountains around us, the disciples anyway, to take a little dip in the Mediterranean ocean nearby, it more than raises an eyebrow what happens in these verses and what Jesus says here. What I want us to see today, again, as you can find in the brief succinct outline in the back of your worship guide is Jesus really trying to teach us three central kingdom realities. The reality of judgment, the call to God's people to be reaching out, and encouragement to walk in bold faith. Not just faith, but bold, confident faith. Of course, we really don't put much stock, if you think about each of these things, in the idea of God's judgment today. The term, even wrath of God, sounds antiquated just as it rolls off my lips, perhaps, to many of us. And an angry Jesus seems even 
more difficult to swallow. Wasn't he just the guy a couple of verses earlier who was welcoming the little kids to come on into him? So we have difficulty swallowing that, and I want us to see today, even if we don't walk away with anything else, the reality that the reason we should be so thankful for the grace and mercy of God that the Bible tells us we have no condemnation in Christ Jesus is because God is a just and righteous judge. He truly is. Also see in these verses this call to outreach, that the house of God, the temple, was to be a house for all the nations. And it's convicting for us as we look at our lives and our tendency both sort of in our family and on an individual level to sort of focus in on ourselves and not be able to see those around us who need the gospel. Challenging as well for us as a church family. Part of why maybe some of us come here, this new church, we kind of like part of the smallness of it. That's part of what we like is the ability to connect in that deep community. But God's always calling us to look to those around us and welcome them in. This is challenging to us. The last thing we'll see and want to talk about today is this call to to bold faith. I mean, all of us struggle with this. All of us have plenty of room to grow in our faith. The passage here encourages us to something that's a little bit hard for us. In, in our circles, if you will, church circles, we, we do a reasonably good job of the kind of faith that says, here's what the Bible teaches about Jesus and salvation in him, and here's what you need to believe in order to have that relationship. That sort of content, here's information about God, and here's what you need to do to respond. Getting that in our minds and so forth. What we really struggle with is this kind of bold faith, this stepping out to walk on water kind of faith that Jesus is describing here, that asks God to move mountains and believes that he can and he will. Let's take a look at these things then as we see them appear in our verses today. Verses 12 through 14 get us started on this idea of judgment that I want us to see. It's an interesting passage, isn't it? Jesus going and condemning this fig tree. You know, if you just kind of, maybe some of us have read it before or read it recently. If you read it like you've never read it before, it seems a little bit below Jesus' pay grade, doesn't it? Like the Savior of the world, the Master of the universe, the Redeemer, stopping to deal and call down condemnation on the plant life around Jerusalem. What's more, the passage tells us that it's not even the season for figs to be on the tree. So it seems like maybe he's a little confused in his botanical blow-up here. Well, what we don't have any reason to know, given our lack of agricultural knowledge today, most of us, if we're going to get some figs, we're going to get them in a box or a bag from the public's grocery store, Uh, Folks in Jesus' day would have commonly understood that although it wasn't the season for figs, the fig tree normally at this time, this time of year, would have had some little nubs, some little buds on them, 
that were not a, you know, not like eating a whole fig, but were something you could munch on. Now, Jesus, of course, is hungry, it tells us, just straightforward. He's looking for something to eat. But, of course, there's a huge spiritual picture that he wants to give us here. He's pointing out the fact, he's leading into his entrance into the temple that's going to happen in just a couple of verses. He's leading in showing that here is the people of God who, like this fig tree, are leafy. Tells us it's leafy. It looks like it's growing and would be bearing fruit. And yet it doesn't even have the little buds, the little nubs. It's not only lacking fruit, but it's lacking any prospect, precursor of fruitfulness. Challenging. Challenging not just for the people in Jesus' day, but challenging for us today in the reminder throughout the Scriptures. And we're reminded of it in all kinds of places that we are called to bear fruit, to respond to God's grace. John 15 tells us that if we abide in Christ, we're like that Uh, vine, that branch planted into the vine, and we can bear great fruit. There's an awesome promise to it, people of God, that we can have the opportunity to have lives of fruitfulness for the kingdom. But, of course, the converse is true. To the degree that we don't abide in, rest in, live in, walk in, depend upon Jesus, we become like this fig tree, oftentimes with leaves things that look like we're spiritual or look like we're Christian on the outside, but not much fruit, sometimes not even the prospect of fruit, it would seem. And Jesus is concerned about this. And this is part of his picture of judgment in the temple as well. It's all tied together. The story of the temple cleansing is probably a little bit more familiar. I want to talk in a minute about what that means for outreach, but let me talk about it now from the perspective of judgment first. Because Jesus comes in and he's overturning these tables. He's on what I've called this temple tirade. What is the point? Why is he so upset? Well, part of it, not all of it, but part of it is just the reality that what is supposed to be going on among the people of God, in the place of God, is what? The praise of God. Prayers, worship to God. And instead, all of this other activity is going on. Some of it duplicitous, like those credit card companies. Somebody's making a buck as well. Jeremiah chapter 7, if you want to turn there, if you have a Bible handy, in the Old Testament, this book of Jeremiah, you you know, when you read these verses in the Scriptures, uh, I've had to learn this over the years, as you read a passage in the New Testament or Old Testament, wherever it is, and it'll sometimes, if you've got a little note or two in your Bible, it'll tell you another passage that's related to. It's called a cross-reference, and and when Jesus says this place is a den of robbers, he's, he didn't just come up with that phrase. He's quoting something from the rest of Scripture, much like the Isaiah passage we saw earlier in our worship service. And this uh, den of robbers comes from Jeremiah chapter 7. I won't read all of the chapter, but it's found in verse 11. But start with me if you want to turn there, Jeremiah chapter 7, starting in verse 1, because I want to see you. This, this helps us understand Jesus' message. 
says, the word that came to Jeremiah from the Lord. Stand in the gate of the Lord's house and proclaim there this word and say, Hear the word of the Lord, all you men of Judah, who enter these gates to worship the Lord. Thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, Amend your ways and your deeds, and I will let you dwell in this place. Do not trust in these deceptive words. What are the deceptive words? Listen to it. This is the temple of the Lord. This is the temple of the Lord. This is the temple of the Lord. What are they doing? They're saying, hey, this is the temple. We've got the temple here for the people that go to church. We're at church. Everything's got to be good. Everything's got to be right on track. We've got the temple, don't we? No, the Lord's greatly concerned not just with what happens in that Uh, hour on Sunday morning for us in our case or in that time of going to the temple for the Israelites. Listen to verse 5. He says, For if you truly amend your ways and your deeds, if you truly execute justice one with another, if you do not oppress the sojourner, the fatherless, or the widow, or shed innocent blood in this place, if you do not go after other gods to your own harm, then I will let you dwell in this place in the land that I gave of old to your fathers forever. Behold, you, must, you trust in deceptive words to no avail. Listen to all the things that they're doing. A familiar list probably for us today if we're willing to look at our hearts. Verse 9, will you steal, murder, commit adultery, swear falsely, make offerings to Baal? That was just a false god. Go after the other gods that you have not known and then come and stand before me in this house, which is called by my name, and say... We are delivered only to go on doing these abominations. And then comes the passage Jesus is speaking about in Mark. Has this house, which is called by my name, become a den of robbers in your eyes? Behold, I myself have seen it, declares the Lord. What's the message for us? It's a beautiful thing to know that we're saved by grace. There's nothing we can do to earn our salvation. There's nothing we can do to take it away because it's all of Jesus and it's all of God's mercy. But at the same time, the Lord pleads with us, the Lord urges us to respond, live lives of fruitfulness, certainly to guard our hearts against coming into the place of worship, thinking we can check off that box. And then like the people described in Jeremiah, it sounds like the temptation we face the moment we walk out of here every Sunday to go back to just life as it is and reload the next week, or in their case, maybe the next year. But what can we take away? Some application points on this idea of judgment. One is just, again, it's reality that God is a God of justice and judgment. That's why we need His mercy. It's hard to understand the blessing, the beauty of the good news of the gospel if we don't get that bad news. Hard to get that also reminds us that we are bid to that life of fruitfulness, but as well that the church and the people of God ought to be about the things of God. That the church ought to be a a place where the, the resources, here you have people coming in with money that they want to use to offer for God. The church ought to be a place where resources are accountable for, where the resources are going to kingdom ministry, kingdom work. We're reminded here as well. And then one last application from this part of 
on judgment, and, and then we'll go on to our second and third points, which will be shorter for us today. I want to talk a minute. It's not the main point of this passage to really deal with us and our anger. Okay, that's not the main point. You understand? It's the main point is to show us a display of God and His just judgment. But I, I do think there's a place for us to learn some things from Jesus here. As I said earlier, it might be a little shocking to us if we haven't read this passage in a while or, or uh, maybe have never read it before, that Jesus has this kind of anger, this kind of forcefulness. Isn't He meek and mild? We're reminded, of course, in the Scriptures that any unjustified anger, and, and, I, and I want to talk about this because people come to me often, and I know my own heart as well, but people come to me often and say, you know, one of my besetting sins, one of those things that even though I'm growing in the Lord, I really have a hard time getting rid of, is anger. Even if it doesn't explode and come out to people around me, it's just a low boil in my life. And it's not, I know it's not of the Lord, it's not pleasing to Him, but it's just boiling there. So I want to talk about this. So Jesus, of course, tells us unjustified anger is equivalent to murder. So there's no sort of carte blanche here from Jesus that we can just have a blow-up whenever we want to. His blow-up, his tirade is targeted, has a specific purpose for us. The Scriptures even remind us in Ephesians that anger's good. It's got a good purpose. And what Jesus wants us to see here is that when our anger is aligned with the kingdom of God, with God's priorities and purposes for righteousness, for justice in the world, it's actually a good thing. It's actually a beautiful thing. Look back at, at Mark with me again, just one verse before where we started today, verse 11. I want you to see this because it helps us a bit. It says, and he, Jesus, entered Jerusalem and went into the temple. And when he had looked around at everything, as it was already late, he went out to Bethany with the twelve. Jesus is walking in here in the temple cleansing and just flying off the handle. No, he's actually been to the temple before. He went in the day before. He saw what was going on. Jesus is very calculated. Jesus is intentional with his expression of anger. He's not just blowing up. He's actually expressing the righteous character of God. And for us today, I'll just leave this question. Where is our heart aligning with the things of God in a way that we actually become disturbed? You know, we want to be people of peace. We want to be people of love in the gospel. All of that's true. But part of walking with the Lord, Jesus shows us here, is to actually be upset at the things that don't please Him. Starting, as that passage tells us, taking that log out of our own eye before we remove the speck in our brothers, starting with ourselves. Really, what a blessing it would be if we could get angry at our own sin. Really see how destructive it is to us and others. And what a blessing it would be too. That we, in, in the right places, in the right way, in the right time, would become upset, particularly at injustice in our world, and particularly at the things that don't glorify God. That's our first point on judgment. Second thing I want us to see in these verses is that there's actually a call to outreach that's declared here boldly that you might miss if you don't look 
closely at it. Guess where all of this money changing was going on? Guess where all the activity and the pigeons and so forth? Again, you know, we sometimes, we're blessed with a lot of little ones in our, our church, and I'm thankful they can come into our worship service. But, you know, sometimes things get a little raucous and whatnot in here. Imagine this scene. Imagine all these creatures and all this financial transactions and tables going on in the midst of us trying to have a worship service today. Well, guess where all that was taking place? The temple had three different sections. That inner part was the sanctuary. Around that was the court of Israel. Around that was the court of the Gentiles. That's where all this took place. What's going on here? This isn't just a matter of them neglecting to praise God or them getting distracted by all this ruckus going on. This is a, at best, at best, this is a, a disregard of hospitality, if you will, of the Israelites to welcome the Gentiles who are coming to seek God with them. At best, that. At worst, it's a blatant ethnocentricity, a blatant bigotry towards those who aren't quite like them, who don't come from the same background, who don't have the same pedigree they perceive themselves as having. That's why Jesus is so upset. You notice he says it's a house of prayer. For who? For all the nations. And I want to pause here to commend us. I know sometimes, I mean, part of what we're supposed to do each week in the sermon time is, is challenge. We're supposed to be challenged. I'm challenged. You all challenged. I want to commend our congregation and encourage us to flan in, fan into flame one thing. And that is that when I get together and, you know, follow up sometime for lunch or coffee with people that visit our congregation, certainly people that are planning to plug into our church, but even folks that come and, you know, it's just not what they thought it was or they're looking for something else and I'll get a chance to talk with them after they visit. Everybody I talk to says one of the things we really loved about coming to Cross Creek Church was the fact that we were so welcomed, that people came to us and spoke to us. They, they welcomed us in. And I just I want to encourage us to keep that going, to continue to have those eyes to look as folks come in. Uh, folks maybe from our own congregation who are hurting. We all, to a degree, when you think about it, feel like an outsider. There's always something about each one of our lives that, for whatever reason, we feel like we're on the outside. What a beautiful thing that we would be a church that really welcomes those. And, and, and I'll take it a, a step further, and that is with, with some of the specific things we're doing as a church. The kids' camp this summer. Kids' camp... Uh, in a lot of ways, it'd probably be easier to do it as one big camp, like we've done it the last few summers. And, of course, there was outreach taking place through that, so nothing, nothing wrong with what we've been doing. We're trying something new this year. And I'm excited about it because we're taking what we're doing, the blessing of the Word of God and the truth of salvation, and we're getting it out into neighborhoods, into families, so that you all, where you are, can, can look and say, okay, well, we're not hosting maybe one right here, but where's the nearest one to us, and, and who do we need to invite around us? Who are the kids whose lives could be transformed by the gospel? Who are the kids that would be in that court of the Gentiles at the house of God? And we need to think about how to get them into the Word of God. That's why we're doing this thing. That's, what, that's the reason. That's a big part of it. We can still teach our kids and help them grow in the Lord through the same thing, but also reach out better 
to those around us. Same thing with the life groups. I've mentioned it before. Uh, you know, who knows what all the future will be of our ministries, but some have said, ah, oh, it would be nice when we have a building one day and we can have all the life groups together in the building. No, part of the beauty of life groups is not just the community, but that we can be a hub out in neighborhoods, be a blessing, be a light. That's the call in these verses to outreach that Jesus gives to us. The third and last thing for us this morning is these verses 20 and following. It's kind of interesting. It's a little Weird to me. And I looked at it this week, and I'm not sure I've even plumbed the, the depths of it. You know, no pun intended there. Um, that, that Peter is intrigued by this withering of the fig tree. Again, it, it just seems like something that, hey, he's seen Jesus like do miracles and raise people from the dead and so forth. And he just seems fascinated that a tree withered when Jesus told it to. It just, it's just kind of an interesting deal to look at. So you can join me in meditating on that. Uh, part of Jesus' answer, though, it's, it prompts this answer, this response from Jesus. And I think it's because this. One, Jesus is just saying, hey, you know, you saw me tell a fig tree to die, and, and it died. You know, whoop-de-doo. Guess what? Guess what not only I can do, but guess what you can do in my kingdom and for my kingdom? If you will call out in faith, you can... See, even whole mountains move. Now, we all know the minute we start to talk about that, we've got to qualify it a little bit uh, in this way. One is, uh, you know, is this suggesting some type of uh, super secret faith, secret super faith that we're supposed to have that enables us to twist God's arm to get him to do exactly what we want to because every one of us, we could go ahead and, you know, get the mic up here and we could parade on up and share story after story probably of things where we have prayed not just for something for ourselves or something self-centered, you know, maybe kind of, you know, better health or a job promotion, you know, those kind of things, but where we've actually prayed for transformation spiritually in our own life or we've prayed for other people around us to even come to know the lord i mean what that's a god honoring good thing and we haven't seen god answer in the way that we desire it's been a no answer or a wait answer instead of a yes answer well we find ourselves in good company you know just a couple pages later in this gospel and in all the other gospels, Jesus is going to cry out for God to take that cup from him. He cries out to him. He asks him, but that's not God's plan. We're going to read later on in the scriptures, the apostle Paul has a thorn in the flesh. We don't know exactly what it was. It was something that some ailment or something that bothered him or plagued him. He asked several times. Certainly a man of faith. Last time I checked. Hard to find a more bold man of faith than Paul. And yet God decided not to take that away. So we've got to put that, got to wrap it all up in that and realize we live in a culture that uh, sadly co-ops faith, takes faith captive to just our personal prosperity and our personal benefit. That we can sort of ask these things and it's all about us. Got to put all that together and realize that Jesus is reminding us here, with all that in mind, that we nevertheless ought to have great confidence to ask God to do incredibly bold things. 
kingdom things. And we ought to do that as a church. That's part of what it means to be a house of prayer, a people of prayer. And what Jesus is saying in this regard, too, is real similar to, I think, the missionary Hudson Taylor. Y'all know the story a bit of Hudson Taylor who went to China. And this was in the late 1800s that he went there. Not much gospel work, if any, going on in that land. He prayed a prayer. Lord, give me China. Lord, give me China. That's the kind of prayer I think Jesus is talking about. To have eyes to see in whatever context you or I are in, to see something that's not there at all. There's not even a trickle in that stream in China of the gospel. And there wasn't going to be much of a trickle for ten years after that, although Hudson Taylor ministered faithfully. And, you know, 60, 75 years later when the communist regime came in and shut down all, you know, public worship settings or controlled them anyway, you'd say, well, I don't really know if I see an answer to that prayer. Where is the mountain moving? I don't see it. And then... In the lifetime of most of us sitting in this room, we have seen tens, hundreds of millions of people coming to faith, connecting with the church in the nation of China. That's the kind of prayer that we ought to be praying. Prayer that we don't, we don't always see it happen right away, but we trust, we call out in confidence that the Lord's going to do his work. And so I invite us to that kind of prayer. I, I invite us when we come to our worship time and I'm praying up here during the pastoral prayer. And I, I, I know I sit through worship services sometimes. It becomes a little perfunctory. Or when we gather in our Sunday school setting and have an opportunity to share prayer requests, a part of this whole passage is this idea of prayer. That the house of God would be a place of prayer for all nations. That we should pray in faith boldly and an invitation to express our faith that way. Let's come into the Lord's house. Let's invite the nations to come. Let's recognize God's call to bear fruit, being those that seek Him with bold faith. Let's pray together. Oh, Father. Thank you for your word again this week and how it reveals to us who you are. Lord, I thank you for the reminder that you're a God of justice and judgment. Lord, because that just reminds me of how thankful and grateful I can be and should be because your word tells me there's no condemnation. For those who are in Christ Jesus, Lord, thank you for being a God of just judgment and one who fulfills your own justice through sending your Son. We praise you. Father, we thank you that you call us as a church right here in Birmingham to be a light for the nations, to be a light indeed for any of those around us, those who hadn't been in church for a while those who maybe have turned their back on you for a while, Lord, that we would be a welcoming place and welcoming people. Father, we pray as well that you would allow us to be people and be a church family that has deep 
growth in our faith and trust in you that exudes itself in heartfelt, bold prayers for the kingdom offered up to you. We ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen.